0: Well, good afternoon and Merry Christmas to you all. So great to see a full house uh, here tonight, and so thankful that you've all decided to spend a little bit of your Christmas celebration with us here at Harmony. Uh, I now want to take just a few minutes uh, to share a message of great hope with you. Anybody need hope tonight? Yeah, and not just a little hope, right? Great hope. We we need great hope, and this is going to be a message that is uh, based on great hope and it comes from uh, the song that you just heard in the video. Uh, you probably know that this song is a Joy to the World, and it is the most published and perhaps the most cherished Christmas carol that there is, except for it's actually not a Christmas carol. Do you know that? Joy to the World is not actually a Christmas carol, or at least it wasn't intended to be. Now... I want to explain why that is the case, but let me first be clear that I'm not trying to stir up controversy here, Uh, like the kind that you might have tonight over your Christmas dinner uh, in regards to whether Die Hard is actually a Christmas movie or not. (laughs) Wow, apparently there is some controversy about that, or whether Home Alone, Elf, Or Christmas Vacation should be considered uh, the greatest Christmas movie of all time. Uh, Personally, I go with Christmas Vacation, but uh, to each uh, his own. Uh, By the way, if you want to see probably the greatest Christmas decorations of all time, uh, just sometime this week, uh, take a trip down Beaverdale Road, north of Beaverdale Road, uh, to where it intersects with Washington Road, and there on the left-hand side, uh, you will see how my neighbor has put together the greatest Christmas Vacation display of all time. full with uh, Cousin Eddie and his RV uh, and, and Snots, uh, as long uh, as well as the uh, Griswold family, Stacey uh, Wagon. No joke, you really need to see this, all right? It's very, very impressive. But anyway, let me explain why Joy to the World uh, isn't about Christmas, or at least it's not primarily about Christmas. The song was originally written over 300 years ago in 1719 uh, by Isaac Watts, and it's based on Psalm 98. Now, in those days, almost all church worship songs came directly and solely uh, from the Psalms, most of the time without music. As a young man, Watts found this unengaging and rather boring, and so he began to write biblically based songs he hoped would encourage and elicit joyful participation in worship. Uh, from an early age, Watts showed an incredible gifting uh, for rhyme. In fact, once, uh, when his father confronted him for opening his eyes uh, during prayer, which is something most young people uh, do, in fact, it's something that I've I've seen most of you older people do too, (laughs) but when his father caught him doing this and and was concerned, obviously confronted him about it, Watts explained his distraction by saying, a little mouse for one of stairs ran up a rope to say its prayers. And his father wasn't uh, very impressed by this, didn't find it all that funny, and so, his father spanked him to discourage further similar behavior. At which point, young Isaac replied, oh, father, father, pity take, and I will no more verses make. And some of you have children like this, right? Too smart for their own good. Thankfully though, Watts didn't keep his promise, instead went on to write more than 400 hymns, many of which you are familiar with, and some which we even still sing today with Joy to the World being the most famous. So Isaac Watts was kind of like the original Chris Tomlin, or if you're older, Bill Gaither, or if you're younger, maybe Kanye, all right? (laughs) He really was good with a rhyme. But as I said, this song, Joy to the World, is based upon Psalm 98. And the thing about Psalm 98 is that it's not about Jesus' first coming, but it's actually about his second. Let me show you this. I'm going to read verses four through nine of the psalm. You can follow along if you want to um, on the screen. It says this, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with a lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar. And all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. I wanna highlight three things from these verses that reveal that this psalm and the song Joy to the World is about Jesus' second coming. Number one, when Jesus came the first time, he was rejected not rejoiced over. When Jesus came the first time, he was rejected, not rejoiced over. In verses four through six, the psalmist anticipates the nations, all the nations of the world, joyfully exploding with praise that King Jesus has come. However, we know that this isn't what happened when Jesus came the first time. While billions are celebrating his birthday right now, there were only a handful of people that did that. 2,000 years ago. Instead, as Isaiah 53 puts it, during his first coming, Jesus was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and he was acquainted with grief. When Jesus came the first time, there was no big celebration like we're having here tonight. Instead, he was almost to a person completely despised and rejected. However, that's not how Jesus is going to be received when he comes the second time. The Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that when Jesus comes again, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that Jesus Christ is King. Or as the first verse of Joy to the World puts it, when Jesus comes again, the earth will, there is no doubt about it, will receive her King. Number two, when Jesus comes a second time, not only will the nations rejoice, but so too will nature. The nations will rejoice, but so too will creation. In verses 7 and 8, the psalmist personifies the oceans, the mountains, the rivers, and in doing so, points to the healing nature will experience when Jesus returns. You see, right now, although our, our world is beautiful, it's also broken, and it's becoming more broken all the time. You don't have to be a climate change alarmist to affirm this. The evidence is all around us and becoming more pronounced as the years go by. All we have to do is look at the Mississippi River to see this, right? The Mississippi River has pockets of beauty, but it also has a lot of pollution, death, and decay, and it's gradually growing worse all the time. This is perfectly in line with what Paul says in Romans 8 when he tells us that right now creation is groaning to be freed from the curse. We're groaning, right? Any of you groan today? (laughs) We're groaning, but all of creation, all of nature is groaning. And yet there's coming a day where that groaning is going to be gone, where the curse is going to be no more, and where nature will rejoice with the nations in rejoicing over King Jesus. Number three, Jesus came the first time to save, but he's coming the second time to judge. Verse 9 says, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. When Jesus came the first time, he was really clear that he came to save, not to judge. He came to save, not to judge, the first time. For example, John 3.16 says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 17 goes on to say, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn or to judge the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So, one of the things that we have to hear tonight, we have to realize that that Christmas is about Jesus coming, not to judge us, but to save us. If If you're an unbeliever here tonight, you don't believe in Jesus, so you just need to understand, Jesus didn't come to judge you did he comes to judgment the first time, he came to save you. And he came to save you by giving his life in your place, by, by dying on the cross for you, to take the punishment, to take the penalty for sin that you deserve. God loved you so much that, that he was willing to sacrifice his own son so that you might be saved. However, this means that Psalm 98 must be talking about Jesus' second coming. His sucking coming when he will, as Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians, uh, 2 Timothy 4, judge the living and the dead. Judge the living and the dead. Jesus is coming to judge the living and the dead. Now, if you're tracking with me so far, you might be thinking, okay, Jesus is coming back to judge. And so, how is that supposed to bring me joy? I mean, you said at the beginning that this is about joy, and you said that this message is going to give you great hope. Well, how exactly does Jesus coming in judgment give me great hope? Well, here's the answer. In the Bible, the word judge means to set things right. Set things right. When Jesus comes again, he will set things right. I think we can all agree right now that there are a lot of things that are not right. Right? There are a lot of things that are not right. Like, it's not right that the Packers continue to beat my Bears. <laughs> or that everybody continues to beat my Bears. All joking aside, there's, there's a lot of pain right now. Probably at no time, at least in my life, has there been more collective pain than is being experienced right now. There's a lot of injustice. There's a lot of death. Most of all, there's a lot of evil. But friends, here's what I want us to hear tonight. When Jesus comes back, he's going to undo all of these things. He's going to heal. He's going to execute justice. He's going to punish evil. And he's going to put an end to pain, injustice, sin, Satan, and death. And he's going to do it forever. My favorite verse of joy to the world is the third one. It's the one that we heard on the video. And once again, it goes like this. No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found. Now, I just gave you an early Christmas gift. I didn't actually sing that for you, okay? Can't do it nearly as beautiful as the woman who just sang it for us. But this verse comes not only from Psalm 98, but it also comes from Genesis 3.15, where God promises Eve that one day he will send someone to reverse the curse. So, Adam and Eve have just plunged the world into sin and death and pain and difficulty and struggle. And yet, in his grace, God comes running to Adam and Eve, and he promises, and he says, listen, I know that you just royally screwed everything up, but there's coming a day, brother and sister, where I'm going to send a savior, I'm going to send a Messiah, and he's going to undo everything you just did. He's going to reverse the curse. And friends, that's what Jesus began to do when he came the first time, and he's coming back a second time to finish the job. Anybody ready for that, by the way? So where is the joy then in the second coming? Why does it provide us with great hope? Well, great joy and hope come from the fact that when Jesus comes again, there will be no more curse, but only blessings forever. Again, he comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. And do you know how far the curse is found? It's found in every single inch of this world. Every single part of your body, every single part of your life is affected, is impacted by the curse. And when Jesus comes back, he's going to do undo it all forever. You know, as I prepared this message, the hurting uh, in our church uh, repeatedly came uh, to my mind. I've thought of the many this week who are struggling with physical and mental illnesses. I've thought of the many who have broken relationships with family. I've thought of the many who have financial burdens. Most of all, I've thought of those who have lost a loved one, numerous people attending a Christmas Eve service tonight are doing so without a beloved spouse, child, or parent. And that means for many of us that while this is supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year, it's actually the most difficult time of the year. I'm looking out, even in this service, at people who are going through all of those kinds of struggles and even more. And so, if this is you, here, here's what I want you to hear tonight. I want you to hear that Christmas means that there's coming a day when your suffering will be over. There's coming a day where everything sad is going to come untrue. There's coming a day where your difficulties will be but a distant memory, and you will experience nothing but joy forever. I think of that uh, part in the movie, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where it said that because the white witch has taken over, it's always winter but never Christmas. Well, friends, when Jesus comes back, it will be always Christmas and never winter. Amen Amen to both of those things, right? Always Christmas, never winter. You people in Iowa ought to be excited about that, all right? Although, we wouldn't mind too many more days like this one, right, here on Christmas Eve. But the point, I digress, all right? Jesus' first coming, what we remember and celebrate at Christmas, it proves that Jesus is going to come a second time. So, you might be here tonight, you might be like, how in the world do we know? How how can you say that Jesus is coming back a second time? I can say it because I believe anybody who died and rose from the grave. And he said, before he left the first time, I'm coming back again. And we can take him at his word. Jesus is going to come back, and therefore we can sing joy to the world now, rejoicing in what Jesus did the first time but rejoicing even more over what he's going to do when he comes again. So, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand with me, and we're going to sing joy to the world together. And as we sing it together, I want you to think about the words and what they mean, not only for the present, but also for the future. And I want you to celebrate, as you have never celebrated before, what Jesus did for you the first time he came, and what he's going to do for you the next time he came. Before we get to that though, let me close with this. The joy that we're talking about here can only be experienced by those who have given their lives to Jesus. It's only for those who truly believe he's the God who came and is coming again. To put it another way, it's only experienced by hearts that have prepared him room. And so my question for you tonight is this, is have you prepared him room? Have you opened your heart to Jesus? Have you believed that He is the King who came and gave His life for you, and then He's the King who's coming back to set all things right for you? Have, have you believed that? Have you, you given your life to that? And what I'm talking about here isn't simply a vague belief that it's all going to work out in the end. I'm not talking about simply being a person of faith or considering yourself a Christian. I'm talking about much more than that. I'm talking about giving to your life to King Jesus. Have you given your life, all of your life, to him? If not, I invite you to do so this afternoon. I encourage, I, w- I would even go so far to say I plead with you to welcome Jesus into your life, to submit to him as your king, and to begin to live today overwhelmed by the glories of his righteousness. And the wonders of his love. Let's pray.